Well, welcome, Paul, to the, the Fire Next Time, to the inaugural Fire Next Time podcast. Um, Glad good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So today is what? March, uh, March 23rd, uh, exactly two months after the, the lockdown in Wuhan. These are uncertain times. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad we you took the time to, to chat. Uh, we might as well start out with uh, with an intro because you know, I think you had a really interesting career, um, definitely spanning over a lot of different geographies. I believe you might have you've been on the NSC, you've worked at a bank, you've uh, worked in Japan, I believe, for a long time. Can you just kind of give us an intro and talks about your your background? Yeah, so I worked in I lived in Washington for a while, and I worked in the executive branch and in the congressional branch and in the judicial branch, uh, all three wow. branches of the government. And in the executive branch was the NSC. And uh, came to Asia. I worked in banking and research most of my career uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, some time in Japan, and mm-hmm. uh, focused a lot on China and. Um, basically started doing research in China in 1992 when I was at Credit Suisse. Wow. Wow. And what do you what do you do now? So you're residing in Singapore right now, which, thank God, is handling this virus quite well. And uh, yeah, what are you up to these days? Well, it's handling it's quite well. It's doing a great job in terms of doing like, you know, the the the, the blocking and tackling of, you know, locating, uh, communicating, uh, testing, um, mm-hmm. And then also really getting to the point of isolating people and making sure that clusters don't break out and uh, mm. contact uh, tracing. Uh, so they're doing a, a very good, a, a very uh, um, detailed uh, job. Uh, and I, you know, Singapore's taken this very, very seriously right, right from the get-go. So basically mm. everybody in the Singapore government is all hands on deck for two months. I know some people who work inside the Ministry of Defense here, and they've been basically working seven days a week for two months wow. trying to you know, keep this thing from getting out of hand. And, you mm. know, Singapore had about 100 cases and people were getting a little bit more um, relaxed. And then, you know, the cases pretty much had gone up to almost 450 now. And so there's been a, wow. a, a more serious crackdown in the last couple of days. And so basically anybody who's come in uh, for the last uh, 14 days is on an automatic 14-day quarantine, voluntary quarantine at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called a, a stay-home notice, which I think we're going to hear a lot more about. And mm-hmm. uh, today they basically banned any short-term visitors. Any people coming in here for tourism for 30 days or less are not coming in. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so oh, as really? we all wow. know now, in, in all countries in Asia, anywhere you go in Asia is a 14-day mm-hmm. quarantine automatic. Um, so basically, a lot of the inter, intra-Asia travel has come to a halt if, unless you want to spend mm-hmm. 14 days in a quarantine. Wow. Yeah, it really seems like uh, they're treating it like it's wartime in Singapore, which I think is the right way to do these kind of things. Yeah, and, and you're, you're seeing that language in the last, you know, three days, finally in Italy and Spain and even the United States now is talking in that language. And I mm-hmm. think there, there's less of a, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, always has had an institutional sort of distrust of the army, you know, basically inside domestic borders. But I think mm-hmm. uh, the Army uh, Corps of Engineers and the Army medical staff is going to have to help out. 
because I think we're mm -hmm. going to get a lot of cases in places like New York, Los Angeles, other large metropolitan cities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, I think we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, I mean, I think the world being the way it is before the virus, there was a lot to talk about anyway, but definitely now it's really thrown a huge self-replicating wrench into the whole thing. So, you know, so I get your newsletter. I'm a big fan of it. I really like how, how informative it is. You know, I think it's very database. And I also really like how quickly you react to things. You know, I think the last two weeks I've gotten like 10 emails from you and each one was completely different. You know, each one was a different theme in this whole kind of global whatever the hell is happening right now. So I just want to read a few points from an email you sent uh, less than a week ago uh, titled High Importance, How to Get Out of This Mess. And so you talk about how there's three major bullets that are in the financial market. So there's the COVID virus in China from January. There's the oil price war going on between you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia going on right now. And then there's the COVID spread throughout Spain, uh, throughout Europe and the US. And obviously this week uh, and you know, the past few days, there's been major action by a number of central banks. So I guess just to tackle these you know, one by one, let's start with, I think, kind of the most recent, which is you know, what's, your, what's your view on the various kind of central banking measures being taken? You know, do you think that it's going to be enough for the virus? And what do you think the after effect is going to be once, uh, once we get over the hump? So I think that I've come to the conclusion over the weekend that this is that this is far more serious uh, than the mm -hmm. GFC in 2008. Um, mm -hmm. And essentially what you have seen happening in the last week is four sets of um, debt markets have sort of blown up. Uh, mm -hmm. the, call it the ABC market. The A market is the double A companies that are very good. The, the triple B market is sort of the okay companies that are in danger of being downgraded to junk. And then the C mm -hmm. market is the junk. The fourth oh. one is the municipal bond market, which is a very large market in the U.S. that, that the states mm -hmm. use, individual states use the municipal bond market to fund those. All four of those have blown up. And, and so mm -hmm. the, 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 the Federal Reserve and, and the Congress and the executive branch are dealing with you know, four sets of bond markets that have all had their, basically their spreads blowing out. Uh, and mm -hmm. so there was a general retreat uh, from risk, not just in the equity market, but in the, in the, in the corporate debt market and in the, in the state municipal bond market. So the Federal Reserve is really uh, trying to fire all guns uh, far more powerfully than 2008 to try to um, calm the markets and bring mm -hmm. spreads down. Because if mm -hmm. spreads stay this high for much longer, right, the, the, the amount of the, the interest rate that corporates are paying for their debt right now is very, very high. For instance, it's like 10%. Right now, corporates mm -hmm. are paying 10%. Wow. Uh, now, to give you an example, the corporates in America that are sort of junk are paying higher interest rates than in Indonesia right now, right? So wow. it's kind of crazy, right? And you, you, th that's not sustainable. And so you have to get those rates down by offering help. Uh, and so uh, last night, the Federal Reserve basically backstopped and guaranteed all the debt of the states. Uh, mm -hmm. You had a, a $2 trillion uh, package that's being discussed between the Republicans and Democrats in Congress. And I believe the Federal Reserve is going to do a lot more. And of course, last Thursday, the European Central Bank 
under Christine Lagarde basically agreed to bar to buy up a trillion dollars worth of corporate debt in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe the Federal Reserve is going to have to do the same thing in America very soon. I think that's that's mm-hmm. inevitable. So, and I think there's yeah. more to come. I think we have a very very serious problem uh, mm-hmm. with the, the uh, with, with a very large debt market. Right, the, the, the debt market we're talking about is. Um, around you know 14 to 16 trillion dollars that we're talking mm-hmm. about that's sort of out of whack right now and you got to get that back into sync yeah because you know uh i just remember what less than a week ago the fed put out its bazooka and then it said we're not going to backstop commercial paper and less than 48 hours later it was like oh no we changed our minds we're going to backstop commercial paper and i think you know one thing that is really striking to me is you know in 2001 we had a dot-com bubble in 2008, we had uh, the GFC, the so-called uh, uh, allegedly uh, struck by the real estate bubble. And now, you know, one word you've kind of seen thrown around the last few years has been everything bubble, you know, where everything is kind of, you know, overpriced. And so you kind of see that again with the Fed's response, where they're just kind of backstopping everything. They're saying, you know, nothing's going to really, uh, except for stocks so far, but they're really kind of just being, um, just, just trying to, well, in their words, provide liquidity for basically every mar- every everything in the market. And so, well, I guess my question is, A, do you think even this kind of drastic measure is going to be enough? And because the other thing we talked about a lot, Justin, well, we did, but that was talked about a lot in 2008 was this moral hazard of just bailing out everything, of kind of destroying the market by not allowing bad trades to just default or, you know, just letting bad businesses except Bayer and Lehman and a few others, not letting all of them go down. So what do you think the side effects are going to be? You know, do you think that the Fed is really going to distort the market to the point where, you know, I don't know, where we have even more negative side effects than just letting it run its course? Well, I think uh, in general, the 2008 crisis was really uh, a mortgage crisis. It was fundamentally a mortgage crisis uh, where um, there was just, uh, uh, I, I would have to say that there was widespread fraud in the mortgage market, probably about one and a half to two trillion dollars of fraudulent mortgages that should never have been um, offered to homeowners. Those were largely in Fannie Mae. And so so what's interesting about 2008, 2009, which was smart, Fannie Mae was just put in, you know, Fannie Mae is the, the federal you know, mortgage company that had a lot of the, 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 co- the country's mortgages, and it was a quasi, mm-hmm. you know, government agency. And right. so that was just basically put into receivership. This one mm-hmm. is more difficult. This one, I think, uh, I, I kind of agree with you that it's an everything bubble, but it's really specifically, this is a corporate bubble. This is a corporate, corporate debt bubble. bubble. Uh-huh. So, 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 so we got to think of it as corporate debt. <clears throat> Uh, and so, so <clears throat> this is more difficult because, for this very simple reason that the the um, the biggest part of the corporate debt is the triple B, and those are basically really at risk of being downgraded to junk. Because when you lose your B status and you turn into C status, mm-hmm. you, you you become junk. Why is that important? It's important because when you become junk, <clears throat> uh, like uh, pension pension funds. Uh, mm-hmm. endow- uh, university endowments, uh, insurance companies cannot own your debt. They have to sell it. They're forced sellers. Mm-hmm. They can't own. Right. They, they cannot own non-investment grade 
debt, that they, they, they cannot own C debt. And mm -hmm. guess what a lot of the B debt that was in danger of being downgraded was? All the companies that are mostly affected by the virus. Airlines, mm -hmm. uh, entertainment, uh, hotels, um, gaming, casinos, um, theater companies, right? These are the companies, these are the companies, unfortunately, that were very uh, concentrated in that triple B stuff that was in danger of being downgraded. So, so there's mm -hmm. two things happening here, right? So, so, so these companies are on the verge of being downgraded. So people have to sell them and mm -hmm. their businesses are terrible, right? And, and, and they're in deep trouble with, you know, cash flow issues. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what's going on is, is, is specifically you have a triple B problem. Uh, and, and, and these are all of your capital intensive cyclicals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and what, the way I like to think about it is everything with a rudder, a tire, or uh, a wing, right? Mm -hmm. Is the stuff that gets in bad trouble when these kinds of things happen. Uh, cruise ships, mm -hmm. they have rudders. Airlines, they have wings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the car companies Auto. are in terrible right. trouble right now, right? And so, and then you can kind of stretch that to the hotel, uh, the hotel chains, the uh, theater chains, um, mm -hmm. and other entertainment companies. Uh, the movie theaters are, are in deep trouble. And so, mm -hmm. so, so that's what's going on. Uh, and, and so that's what I think that the, 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 the fiscal package that's being uh, thrown back and forth with the Republicans and Democrats last night and today is probably looking at these very specific issues. Mm. Right. That's really interesting because, you know, with the GFC, we were talking about kind of how uh, all these mortgages got packaged up into, uh, into CDOs. Yes. And then they got packaged more CDOs and then they got insurance through CDSs. And then these yes. CDSs were crazy leveraged and that became this kind of atomic yes. bomb at the heart of the, the financial system. Yes. But what you're saying is that these corporates have almost become, due to regulation that requires uh, pension funds sell junk bonds from their, uh, from their portfolios, it's almost like these corporates, due to the real economy weakening and due to the, vast, the massive amount of corporate debt, the unprecedented amount of corporate debt in the system, Correct. it's almost like this is its own kind of time bomb. It's not even about derivatives. This is just spot corporate bonds. And uh, if they slide into junk, then it's going to cause obviously just huge amounts of, uh, well, huge amounts of debt going bad. And it could cause a ripple that goes all the way through the, the financial system, almost, almost exactly like what happened in the GFC. And that's almost like a, a big reason why the Fed is getting so involved in these, these kind of these Main Street companies. You know, would you, would you say all that is accurate? Yes, completely accurate. And so, so I'll, I'll give you a, a quick uh, summary of the discussion in, 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 in the Senate today and, and going on tomorrow is exactly about this. And so, so basically the Republicans in power, you know, uh, want, you know, uh, their, their constituents are, you know, wealthy, uh, you know, corporates. That, 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 that's the way the system works. That, that's who represents Republicans. And so, uh, and so what you are seeing is uh, essentially uh, a, about a $2 trillion package and mm -hmm. about $1.5 trillion is going to go to mom and pop, $2,000 checks to families, unemployment benefits, and so forth. But the Senate Republicans want a $500 billion bailout, which they mm -hmm. want a blank check to give this money 
to these all the companies that we're talking about, the companies on the on on the verge of of, of either getting downgraded to junk or becoming deeply problematic, you know, in terms of like sustaining their businesses. Companies like Boeing, GE, uh, Delta, uh, United, um, possibly major ho hotel chains, uh, mm -hmm. possibly uh, movie the large movie theater chains. Uh, the cruise ship companies are on the verge of going under. And so the Democrats said, forget it. That, that's a total non-starter idea. We're not going to give you a blank check to go mm -hmm. and have this money just go out to the corporates in, 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 in some secret deal. And so, mm -hmm. so that's, the, that's exactly the, uh, the, the, the problem right now and, and where the hang-up yeah. is. And I believe, <clears throat> you know, something that you and I talk about a lot that that the uh, Democrats are are very afraid that this is going to uh, cause deep deep problems in the greater population who are just so sick of you know having the the larger you know corporates get bailed out and then the, right. the little guy gets nothing and so, right. so so there's a hyper sensitivity here about how this is being done and that's why they did not reach a deal uh, last night and why uh, many of the markets today are in meltdown. Yeah, geez. Yeah, I remember for TARP. Is it TARP? Or was yes. it, I think the Obama stimulus, actually, where they had, uh, it was like seven, $798 billion, I think. And then $30 billion of that was, was loans for small business. And I was just like, wow, that's a, it's a really, I mean, I can appreciate how obviously larger businesses need more money. But I was like, this seems like a small amount of money for, uh, for people who are really crucial to uh, the real American economy. And by uh, the way, indeed, that was indeed. Deal. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody went to jail and, and, and the banks yeah. were bailed out and, and millions of Americans lost their homes. You know, they yeah. didn't get any help. And so so that caused a lot of the rage that got someone like Trump elected. Yeah. And, you know, the really ironic and ridiculous part is that uh, that bill was passed during a Democrat supermajority. Right. So that was kind of their their big chance. But. I guess water under the bridge, right? It's a different time now. But, well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I was on a stage with Barney Frank a couple of years ago, and, and you know, mm -hmm. we were talking about this, and he was the one, uh, you know, the, the Dodd-Frank bill was basically what you're talking about, and, and yeah. he was a very senior Democrat who, who organized a lot of this stuff, and he says his, his biggest regret of his career was not getting more people arrested. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, yeah. Um, so I, I got one more question about kind of macroeconomics because there's a lot of really interesting stuff I want to talk about. But so, you know, you see this thing of, like you mentioned, even if we do, well, even if the Fed is able to prop up the corporate bond market and we don't have this bomb go off, you could still see anything with a wheel, a rudder or a wing become, in your words, deeply problematic. Now, there's another word that I want to throw out there. I want to see if you can agree with to describe these corporations, and that's a zombie corporation. And so where a corporation is just, uh, just kind of keeps, it's still technically alive, it's able to service its debt, but it's not really able to dig itself out of the hole. And I, I bring that up because you kind of saw these show up a lot in the 80s in Japan, where the, the BOJ kind of came in when the economy was going down and tried to save everything. And how these, uh, you know, in Japan, you have the concept of karetsu, where these, uh, these large corporates are all kind of interlinked with each other. And how they just kind of lent each other money and kind of kept each other alive. And so you have 
well, some would say you have a bunch of zombie corporations in Japan right now, which are not really financially viable, which are not really profitable in the real sense, but are still been kept on life support for 20 years and how deeply the, the central bank's involved. And obviously you, you've seen stagflation in Japan for, well, not exactly stagflation, but stagnation in Japan for a pretty long time now. So with the measures that the Fed is taking, do you see this being an outcome in America? Oh, that's a good question. There's a couple of things that are very important here. Um, mm. You know, when when uh, other uh, company countries uh, have, which went through the GFC um, didn't manage themselves well, you know, they 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 and during the Asian crisis as well in 1998, you know, mm. they, they blew up. They had violent revolutions. They had a great deal of social instability. Uh, they've had uh, decimated their healthcare systems and left, you know, the poor people to fend for themselves, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they become utter basket cases. And the, the examples I would give you all over the place, you know, South Africa, Brazil, mm -hmm. Argentina, um, oh, you know, Thailand, yeah. you know, and Thailand had a great deal of violence. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think to some extent, Indonesia went into a dark hole for, you know, seven years. Japan mm -hmm. has had not a single bullet fired in violence. It still has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. It still has one of the lowest unemployment rates in the world. Uh, life is pretty good. If you talk to somebody who's a worker, they will say, my salary's gone down 25%, but guess what? My daytime lunch has gone down by 50%. Uh -huh. And I've always been struck by that because I've been teaching graduate students for 20 years, and I always ask the, the Japanese students to talk about their experience of deflation with the Chinese mm. students next to them who have had nothing but inflation and higher right. wages for 15 years. And the Chinese students, their jaws drop on the floor because they don't even know what deflation is because they've had mm -hmm. a booming economy for, for you know 20 years. Japan's had yeah. a deflating economy for 20 years. This is terrible for young people because young people like to borrow and build businesses and you know get homes and start families. But quite mm -hmm. frankly, you know what Japan has done has created a society which is still very cohesive. Right. And so we need to pay attention to some of these issues where, yes, they've allowed zombie corporations to exist. So does Europe. So does the US. Right. So does Australia. Mm -hmm. So did everybody else. That's part of the way of getting out of a problem is to uh, mm -hmm. sort of, you know, uh, move along slowly, try to bring as many people as you can with you and try not to create chronic unemployment because chronic unemployment will kill your economy because you basically kick out an entire generation of young people who don't have any experience working. And by the time they're 30, mm -hmm. they don't know what work is. This is really right. problematic. So you want to have these on periods of unemployment to be as low as possible. And so, right. you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of books written about this. <clears throat> <clears throat> I think the U.S. Uh, tends to clean out quicker. It tends to clean the you know, the U.S. cleaned out the banks and, and, and the banks took, you know, a trillion dollars of losses by, mm -hmm. by 2009. Some of the European banks have still not written off stuff from the GFC in 2008. It's still on their books. Deutsche Bank. Right. Example. Mm -hmm. And so the U.S. will tend to try to clean out the, the pain. And, and the U.S. will resort to socialist bailouts for sure and, and the moral hazard that comes with it. But mm. I, I, think, I think there's a role to play for, for zombies, you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we can go back and forth about this, but 
you know, Japan's a very peaceful society. Nothing was burned down, right? Nobody has been killed. Mm -hmm. There's not guns all over the streets. That's really interesting because I think you're saying two really interesting things there. Because on one side, you're saying almost saying that there's a role to play for zombie corporations, almost as a, almost as a kind of capitalistic style social social safety net. Correct. Exactly. Way to try it grow. That's exactly. really interesting. That's like the most that's the most capitalistic way to implement a safety net ever. Just to have a money losing company and just have it employ people and have that be the way to I mean in, in a way to to teach people how to how to get jobs, how to how to function inside what is still a capitalistic society society, have the government be the backstop for that corporation. I think that's really interesting. And obviously it, it does work to some degree in Japan. Uh, yes, and that's right. And so, so, so these companies that are paying, you know, two percent, you know, for their debt, that they're alive. If if there was normalized, you know, interest rates, they would die, right? If interest rates were six or seven, right. they would all close. But you know, the interest rate is one or two percent, right? The government is mm -hmm. funding itself at basically zero, right? right? So the federal government of Japan can build an Olympic-sized swimming pool in every small mm -hmm. town in Japan, which it has done, by the way, and uh, they're no worse the wear. And Japan's debt to GDP is 200%. And the currency is one of the best performing currencies in the world. The debt market is one of the best performing debt markets in the world for the last 15 mm -hmm. years. <laughs> right? And, right. Uh, um, you know, uh, it's, it's remarkable how you know, people have just been, you know, either showing contempt or pity for Japan, but the social experiment has worked a hell of a lot better there than it has in places like um, other other countries in Europe whose healthcare systems have well, been like decimated. Argentina, right? At least Argentina, Brazil, yeah. even the American healthcare system has been decimated. Uh, and this yeah. is one of the problems with COVID is because all the federal funding uh, for hospitals and healthcare is gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's a, that's a good point. Because the other thing I want to, you know, what Japan has done is really, in its own way, quite impressive to able to kind of come along such a long way with such low growth and such deflationary environment. And so, you know, that's the other thing I want to ask you about, just when we bring up Japan, because I think it's so interesting because, you know, you spent a long time in Japan. You know that as a culture, it's quite different from a lot of different cultures. And it's really, it really prides itself on not being different, but being, you know, unique in its own way. You know, Japan has the oldest and the only uh, unbroken monarchy in the world. You know, the imperial, uh, the emperor has been around for over a thousand years. The Japanese people, as you know, are very cohesive in their own way. And so, you know, I say this because we're at a time, I think, of unprecedented, maybe not unprecedented, but of immense social discohesion in the U.S. right now. And I think, uh, you know, I think certainly after, certainly prior to Trump's election, all this was already happening. So do you think this model is still possible in the U.S., even, you know, given, given the cultural differences? You know, something you mentioned was not a single shot was fired, but there's a lot more guns in the U.S. You know, do you think that's going to make an impact? Yeah, I, I think it's very problematic. I, I think that uh, I'll give you some examples. Mm -hmm. I just finished a book on this, uh, which which I, I gave you to you, you, read, you. You reviewed it, uh, and, and so I appreciate that. You know, uh, America has more guns per capita than Yemen, which has been in a full you know blown civil war. 
mm-hmm. for you know many many years and, and so so in fact I, you know the united states has more guns per capita than virtually any other country in the world um and, and so yeah th- that is problematic uh there is a great deal of anger and rage uh particularly i would i would have to say it's in the south um mm-hmm. and uh you know what's been happening last week there was a lot of gun sales last week when people began yeah. to, began to sort of you know get a little bit edgy and, and nervous about this covid uh thing uh and mm-hmm. you know I, I i know many people who would make some assumptions that there might be some violence in the future in the united states <clears throat> you know there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it um right um, domestic terrorism is a really a real problem in america there's no doubt about that uh and so mm-hmm. yeah so 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 yeah the, the society is at war american society is at war with itself uh, i i mm-hmm. have never seen more disagreement and more vitriol and more vicious attacks on you know the left and the right than I, in my lifetime that i've seen in the last you know year mm-hmm. right yeah geez well so uh well, we'll see what happens with that one. That's going to be a. Well, I guess we'll just have to to follow it and see how it has, how it goes and how well U.S. society can keep cohesion given given what's going on. Um, so I guess moving on from macroeconomics, you know, but still on the topic of corporate debt. So you know, I want to talk about American Airlines for a little bit, kind of the whole airline industry because they're, I think, a great example of, uh, or at least a great bellwether of how governments will react. So, you know, American Airlines, uh, they were in a very low interest debt, very low interest debt environment for a long time. And they use a lot of that money to engineer buybacks. And yes. so they've been hugely profitable for many years. And yet they still are incredibly financial, financially fragile. Um, and many people are very mad about that. Now, in your book, um, AI and Quantum Computing for Finance Insurance, um, you talk a lot about how companies should be spending less on or should be spending more on research. So things like G, like IoT, like AI, and how important they're going to be in the future. Now, I just want to bring up another point. Well, I guess to start off, do you think that uh, American Airlines should have spent more on, for example, better customer service, better flights, retrofitting, research, instead of buybacks? You know, is just given everything we've seen so far, do you think that would have been prudent? Or do you think that would have been, and on us, on, on the counterpoint to being financially prudent, do you think that would have been the most responsible thing for shareholders? Yeah, of course. I know it's not just uh, 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 the airline companies; it's all, all, all of the Dow, most of the S and P five hundred. And not mm-hmm. only did they uh, not spend uh, cash uh, their their cash flow on R and D, they borrowed money to buy back their stock, and so that's mm-hmm. great on the way up. But on the way mm. down, this is a big problem because when your stock price goes down, your bank calls you and says, hey, you know what? You borrowed that stock, you know, with your, you know, you borrowed that money with, with your stock at whatever, $100. And now you're right now, you're, your stock's at whatever, $60. And you got to repay some of this debt now. So, so, so mm-hmm. the unwind of this is really violent because not only are you dealing with the, your business slowing down, you have to pay back money to the bank. Who's asking for a margin call? And the and the margin call is very clear. The the contracts are very clear. If your stock goes down by such and such an amount, you have to, you know, top up your account, right? You mm-hmm. have to get go go get cash from somewhere, 
and top up your account. And this is happening throughout the entire system. And that's why there's mm. such a strain in the financial system in America, because there's a very big margin call on lower collateral prices. And mm -hmm. uh, this debt was accumulated to buy back stock. So right. only so 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 a cash flow was not being put aside to to get R and D, and B even worse, uh, money was being borrowed to drive stock prices up by buying back their own stock. And why was mm -hmm. this? Because of a very stupid law, which says your your taxation on stock gains is going to be better than a than a a, a tax um, a tax liability on dividends. It's, it was right. really a, a bad, stupid law, but it caused mm -hmm. stock prices to keep going up because of stock buybacks. Uh, right. And I think when we look back in history, that will be like, oh, that was really stupid. That was a really bad idea. You mm -hmm. know, uh, and, and, and there's lots of those things from 2008 from the GSC I won't go into that were really, really bad ideas that were, were policy. Mm -hmm. and, and so you're exactly right that these companies spent too much of their cash, you know, basically uh, propping up their stock price uh, because it was tax efficient uh, mm -hmm. rather than, uh, you know, uh, doing more R&D. And of course, Boeing is another example of that. Boeing stock went to four hundred dollars. Boeing stock is now like I think in the 90s uh, today, mm -hmm. you know, so it's down like 80 percent. Right. right. So, so you're exactly right. The the uh, the the stock buybacks rather than R&D uh, is a terrible idea. And I, I work with the board of directors of a very large insurance company in America. And, and you know, mm -hmm. one of the top people said it, it is terrible that we just spent two billion dollars buying back our stock when there was 10 things that are that were that are better to do in terms right. of investing in technology. But instead, we buy back. We buy, we bought we bought our stock. And you know, right. that's that's life, you know, and so. <laughs> that's life. Well, you know, that is life. But at the same time, it's also uh, that's the rational decision of executive decision makers based on policy. Right. Because you have all these shareholders that want their stock to go up because then they get uh, then then they get gains in their portfolio at the lowest tax rate. Correct. And if enough of them make make noise, then it's going to happen. You know, you're going to start buying your stock back. Correct. Um, you know, so so the reason I bring up American Airlines specifically and their stock buyback is there's a really great uh, there's a really great essayist I read called uh, uh, his name is Matt Levine with Bloomberg. I don't know if you read him, but he puts out a newsletter and he talks about he kind of looks at what American Airlines did. And so this is his point. His point is that so American Airlines spent 15 billion over the last 10 years to buy its stock back. Now, it could have spent that money on technology. However, given that no one is flying, it may not have helped during this crisis. It could have put all that money in a bank. And let's say it put 15 billion in the bank. And when this is over, let's say it spent it all. So the market cap at the end of 2019 for AA was uh, 12.3 billion. So his point was, if you put 15 billion in the bank and you spent it to keep your business alive during a time when no one's flying, then you spent 15 billion to protect a 12.3 uh, billion market cap, and he was like, "I'm, I'm not sure that's uh, I'm not immediately sure that's a that's a good trade." And so his point was that, you know, 
by spending $15 billion to buy the stock back, it gave shareholders back like a over 100% return on, on their investment. And it's pointless that if you look at the various things AA could have done, then, then doing these, going all in essentially on stock buybacks was in a way, the way that brought the highest shareholder return. In a way. So, you know, so, so what do you say about, say about that? Because almost, it almost comes back to this point of, well, there was a change in policy and now this is the best way to return money to shareholders. And is, maybe that's the point of a, of a public company. And that's obviously uh, probably a major influence in why AA did what it did, you know. So do you think that that's kind of the point that just because it maximizes the shareholder return, that it was the rational thing for American Airlines to do? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what we talk about in this book that, that I just finished, uh, where, where, which I think is why China's ahead in so many of these sectors, because it has a long term view and pours money into uh, all these things, you know, payments, e-commerce, uh, digital currency, blockchain, um, autonomous cars, uh, battery technology, quantum communications, uh, on and on, where it is actually pulling ahead of the U.S. and where uh, so many of these companies just were buying back their stock. I, I think it, that is, and I think there's a lot of very senior top portfolio managers who enjoy mm -hmm. the capital gains, but have been grumbling, you know, privately. That is a, a, a policy that is to completely reckless, and and, and will mm -hmm. leave America, you know, with high stock prices and nothing else, uh, but you know, look, uh, humidity <clears throat> left on 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 a company's balance sheet because they didn't invest in technology, that they didn't do any R&D, they, they didn't mm -hmm. diversify their businesses, they didn't buy up new businesses that could have made them better returns in, in affiliated mm -hmm. businesses. Uh, and so there was a philosophy, there was an ideology of quarterly stock gains at any price, mm -hmm. especially in the last couple of years where, uh, you know, even Donald Trump, you know, was was touting this. His right. mark of success was the stock market. The stock market was his right. confirmation of doing a good job. And he set the policy, right? You said it. So, yeah. Jeez. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, all, all those games are gone now, so. And he's not uh, relaxed. Yeah, pretty much. Relax. The, the gains of his administration are wiped out uh, up till about right now. That's right. Including yeah. what's going to happen Jeez. tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess shifting gears a little bit from the financial from the financial stuff. So you know, one thing that you talked about a lot, talked about already on this podcast, is how important it is to invest in five G and AI and blockchain and IoT and all these future technologies. And, you know, one thing that you were saying to me a few days ago was that, you know, uh, this is what I've been working on for years. And yet all my clients care about right now is coronavirus. You know, this is the big thing that's on everyone's minds. So yeah. I guess just to pick out 5G, because it is such a, such an impactful technology. You know, if you had to make the case to someone that even giving all this chaos, that this is still the right time to invest in 5G, that your investments in 5G can't be impacted by all the chaos going on. You know, how would you make that case? You know, do you think that 5G, specifically just this technology, do you think it's still as important given everything that's happened the last two months? 
Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, what we're seeing in China is after this, you know, uh, very, you know, what China's looking pretty smart now. It was not looking very smart, you know, two months ago. Now it's looking pretty smart because it's it's coming out of a very severe crackdown, which people, you know, said could only happen in a totalitarian state. Well, guess what? Italy and Spain are doing exactly what China is doing. And England is doing exactly what China is doing. And many states are now doing exactly what China is doing. And so, mm-hmm. so now that China is coming out of this um, nightmare and, and it's starting to get back to normal, you know, we hear a lot of, of, of news out of China that Shanghai is normalizing. Hangzhou is normalizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shenzhen, Guangzhou is normalizing. There's still a restricted labor movement, but the local economies are to some extent normalizing. Uh, and, and so, so that's one thing to remember. This, this too shall end. You know, I, I think within a year we'll probably have a vaccine for this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, and then you have to have, you know, one of two things: a, a vaccine; v, you have to have a uh, large pockets of immune people, right? Mm-hmm. People who've had this become immune to it again. And so when you have large pockets of immune people, people stop getting sick. That's the way viruses work, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so those are the two things that will help. And then, of course, uh, distancing is what everyone's working on at the moment. Um, but, but I think it will be a, a very difficult thing for the next couple of months in the United States. But that doesn't mean that you stop doing all the things that nations do, which mm-hmm. is, you know, operate healthcare systems maintain technology, maintain the infrastructure, you know, maintain mm-hmm. the food supply, maintain logistical supply, maintain your ports, right? Maintain law and order. Countries go on. And I think 5G is still a, a really vital part of the new infrastructure. And right now, China is way ahead of the U.S. in that. It already implemented 5G last year in November. And the mm-hmm. U.S. has yet to really implement any, you know, real 5G uh, network. And, of course, I think this virus now is, you know, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, you know, uh, priority number one. And there's no other priorities except the virus and attacking the virus mm-hmm. and saving people's lives. And so, so, and that was China, you know, eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, of course, these technologies are vital. They're going to continue uh, China has had huge initiatives coming out. You should see the initiatives coming out of China. I watched them very carefully. China's doing a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of technological initiatives, even as they were fighting the virus. They, they, they have right. done spectacular banking reforms and insurance reforms while they're fighting the virus. It's pretty impressive. Uh, and a lot of news mm-hmm. on what Huawei's up to. Huawei's releasing a new phone today. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, yeah. So China's not messing around. China's still going pretty much full bore in all these other technologies. And, um, you know, I think the U.S. will get back to normal as well, probably in the summertime when mm-hmm. these two things happen, when, when the vaccine begins to be properly distributed. I don't know when that's going to be. And when larger pockets of people create immunity uh, mm-hmm. so that the virus stops spreading. Yeah, because I just remember something that stuck out of me is that uh, when the virus was spreading, all these AI companies in China were jumping out and they were they were making algorithms that could identify faces uh, behind masks. That was the, the big concern. Um, and later, that technology was used pretty extensively for stuff like contact tracing. 
yes. um, and may have contributed to uh, to the control there, to controlling the situation pretty quickly there. Yes, yeah, so, just, you know, uh, today yeah. uh, Baidu released a cell phone, uh, uh, a cell phone evolution of the entire spread of the virus uh, mm -hmm. globally, starting in Wuhan uh, at the street corner where that fish market was. Uh, it's pretty really mm -hmm. remarkable uh, graphic to show what's mm -hmm. going on uh, through virtually any cell phone that was operating in Wuhan, and seeing where those mm -hmm. cell phones went. So it's it's you know th these. Technological uh, evolution is astounding, and of course, you know, and everyone knows all the story now that people are getting home delivery of everything in their whole lives: their household goods, their white goods, their food, their mm -hmm. fast food, their groceries. You know, everything is basically. And I think you know there was tens of millions of people that got onto Alibaba that were never on Alibaba before because of the virus, and so Alibaba has tens of millions of more new customers that it didn't have before. Uh, and so, yeah, so, 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 so this is a commonly known, you know, uh, story that, that you're so right that, that the, the evolution in algorithms, I, I think the evolution in, 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 in uh, technological elements of healthcare is, are, are going to make huge um, uh, strides in terms of the, the AI analysis of like RNA mm. strands. I think that's going to be a new science coming out of this that really didn't exist before. So I think we're going to get a lot of great stuff out of this. You know, we have to look on the mm -hmm. on, 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 on the other on side, the right of side of this darkness right now. Yeah, you know, it almost reminds me of uh, what BlackRock did around the GFC, where they went around kind of picking up houses for pennies. And then 10 years later, they were the largest landowner, the largest house owner in the U.S. and hugely profitable from that strategy. It's almost like that but on a national scale, where if you can invest or keep your investments in all these emerging technologies in the right areas, then once we're over all this, you know, uh, God willing, in a few years, then that'll put you on a, on a big head start while everyone else is just kind of shutting down and just uh, you're just kind just kind of staying in place. That's right. That's right. You, you, a, you have to preserve your cash in order to do this, and then B, you have to be clever about you know what's out there that's that's got value to it. Um, but you're right, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people made a great deal of money. But you know, one thing we don't want to go around sort of the the uh, the you know the um, Schadenfreude is you know delighting in other people's misfortune and sort of you know right. wringing our hands you know with you know, greedily looking for opportunities to take advantage of people's misfortune. But right. that's the way markets work, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if anyone wants to figure out how, what to invest in, then your book kind of goes into all this in great detail. And I think it's a really great kind of roadmap to, um, to what the future is going to look like and what we should do when we get there. And yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a really great tool to kind of wrap your head around all this stuff because there's a lot of going on in the future technology too, you know, even before the virus. Indeed, 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 indeed. Uh, and and I, I think the, that anybody who, who had any question marks about whether they should be online, boy, oh boy, that, that question's been answered. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so, so this is why you've seen a, a big outperformance of Alibaba stock price, for instance, even Tencent, which has been a laggard mm -hmm. relative to Alibaba, is, has done very well as well because of the online uh, gaming, which we're all doing while we're sitting at home twiddling our thumbs in this yeah. sort of you know, self-imposed quarantine, you in Osaka and me in Singapore. Yeah, yeah, plenty of... Gotta, gotta fill your day somehow with activities. 
probably why we're doing this podcast. But um, so to, to kind of combine these, uh, these topics of new technologies and, and uh, finance. So one thing that has been really interesting to me is that, you know, over the last few days, you've seen a pretty big route in the U.S. stock market. You've seen, you saw U.S. treasuries going bidless for hours uh, one of these days. Um, same deal happening in Europe, same deal to a slightly less degree in, in China. You saw the ruble kind of dropping pretty dramatically. Now, Bitcoin also dropped very dramatically um, a few weeks ago, went from 8,000 down to a low of 3,800. But since yeah. then, since two, those two days of drops, it's kind of recovered. And right now it's hovering around 6,000. Now, obviously, that's a very short amount of time. Um, and it's still a 20% drop, uh, you know, going from 8,000 to 6,000, which, by the way, in crypto land is actually not that dramatic. But so, so what are your views here? You know, why it's almost like besides the first two days where I guess people may be panic selling Bitcoin and trying to do everything they could to get to USD. It's almost like since then, Bitcoin has become less correlated to the rest of, to the, rest of the market. And obviously, it's not going to be a, that affected by um, any Fed bailouts. It's almost its own, its own system. So, so what are your views there? You know, how do you think, how do you think crypto is going to be impacted by uh by this chaos in the non-crypto markets? Well, I think that if you look at all the players of the crypto market, I, I think that the, the, the drop that uh, in crypto that coincided with the drop in equities and, and, and this, this route in, in bond land, I, mm -hmm. I think it tells us that there was a lot of leverage in the crypto among crypto players. In, in other words, the same thing happened in crypto land that was happening in equity land, and that was a margin call. That people who borrowed money, right, to buy an asset, and then when that asset price goes down, the, the bank gives them a call and call it on, taps on the shoulder and says, "Hey, you know what? Uh, we need more cash in your account, or we're going to liquidate your holdings mm -hmm. on your behalf." Right? So banks have the and brokers have right. the right to do that, and so I think there was a lot of forced mm -hmm. liquidation in crypto land for exactly the same reason that there was forced liquidation in equity land. And that was a, a margin call as the collateral price was going down. And, and so, so we always want to be uh, poking around and asking questions and finding out for people who are new, younger people who are new, it's vital to figure out how much leverage is in the system of crypto mm -hmm. players. That's a very vital right. question all, at all times. Right. I wonder if a lot of the leverage is washed out, question mark. It seems to me, and looking yeah. at some of the uh, the the price action, that maybe some of the leverage is washed out. Yeah, because you know, I don't know if you were watching, but there was some some research on there was some blockchain people were looking on uh, at on chain transactions uh, right before the massive sell off, and they found that there was a shift of two hundred eighty one thousand Bitcoin. And the, the majority of these were from addresses that had been created less than 30 days ago. So these were not long-term holders. These were, these were not also not day-to-day -day holders. These were short-term holders. And it was a massive amount of Bitcoin. And you know a lot of this was transferred into exchanges. Now, 281,000 Bitcoin at a price of 8,000 per Bitcoin is $2.2 billion. And so that may, certainly there, there has been correlation in the past, large uh, moves on the blockchain and large surges or rises in, in, the big, in the price of Bitcoin. So, you know, I'm not, I don't think, 
everything we, we can say now is just speculative, but it does seem there is evidence that someone was moving around a huge amount of Bitcoin right before, or a group of people were right before the crash. And obviously, you know, the everyone's favorite bogeyman for these kind of things in crypto land are, are miners. Uh, everyone thinks that they're the, the puppet masters. Another kind of possible culprit is Plus Token, which was a huge Ponzi scheme in China last year, which also had roughly that amount of Bitcoin in, in, uh, in illicit earnings. So it might have been them cashing out. Uh, one theory I've heard is, like you said, a large fund is liquidating their Bitcoin position, um, which would make sense because that's, you know, uh, certainly U.S. fund would want, would want to get back to USD as quickly as possible if, if they're that bearish. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it could have been any of these things. It's always hard to say in crypto land. But, uh, yeah, you know, I do think it was someone, someone either manipulating or, or them getting squeezed and having to, to get their positions out. Um, what what date once, was that? Once, what, do you remember what kind of what day, what, me, what week that was? You know, I don't have it on hand right now. Like I'll send you. I'll send. I'll send it to you like, after. Like, was it late January or July. early February or? I believe it was. You know what? Let me just find it right now. I believe it was late February. Okay. That's uh. That's what I think it was. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it was right before we saw this uh this huge drop. Oh, I'll define that uh. Well, you know, one of the things that that uh, makes people, especially people on Main Street, furious is that mm -hmm. sometime during February, the uh, Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, you know, in, in a secure room was given a briefing by people in the U.S. Army uh, intelligence. And mm -hmm. they were saying basically that uh, a pandemic was an absolute inevitability and you better prepare for this. And of course, those people never said anything but two of them are under investigation for selling all of their holdings, mm -hmm. right? And so this is the yeah. kind of thing that gets out to the elite, right? Mm -hmm. the, the elite get access to their senators. The senators start to talk about certain elite members of their inner circle. And then these people mm -hmm. can you know, buy Bitcoin or, or try to you know, get out of a certain currency into something of a safe haven. Mm -hmm. And so, so some of this mm -hmm. could have been a response to, you know, information that they received on the nature of the spread of the virus before a lot of the uh, community knew it. And when, you know, many leaders of many countries were, you know, telling everybody to, you know, go out drinking and have a good time. Right. Right. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms around governance, right? It's like, I saw... Um, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, she was talking about how senators or public servants should not hold stock, which I don't agree with. You know, I don't see why people can't hold stock, but, you know, they should, but in I a mean, blind trust, be, they should have a blind right. trust. They can, they can hold all they want, anything they want in a blind trust that they don't yeah. know what's in there. Because we have procedures for this kind of stuff. If you're going to liquidate, put out your liquidation plan over the next 12 months, make it public, you know, wait three months to do anything. You know, that's how we know, right, that you're not trading on insider information and, uh, and you just go go through it. Or like you said, put in a blind trust. I think I think Sandra Kelly Lofer, I think that her case was that her money was managed by asset managers. She had no knowledge of what, what was happening. If they sold, that was not because of her insider information, um, which may or may not be true. You know, obviously, it's, it's hard to prove now. 
that you know because you didn't just uh well, I don't know what you did with the money, but it certainly looks bad at the very least. But um, but yeah, you know these kind of things. It's uh, it's uh, it's it becomes tricky, right? It's an issue of of how we want to. It's, it's it's the same deal of what's happening today with people, tr- the Democrats and the Republicans fighting over this bill. You know, you shove this thing in there. Um, is it is it a good thing for Democrats to try to push it through, given the the blank check, or is it not? You know. You know, once these things happen, all these issues of civic governance really start to come up as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the, the uh, plus I think the cosmetics of this, the 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 public image of what would be happening just by giving a blank check to the Treasury Department and then having, you know, three senators and Trump and Mnuchin divide up, you know, who gets the money just, you know, it it sort of stinks to high heavens. And that's why I think the Democrats said, well, thanks very much. In fact, the message that they gave last night, uh, several hours ago, was we're going to go back and have our own bill. Thank you very much. We're yeah. not even interested in trying to clean up this one. We're going to do our own. And so, so, so there's a, a wide distance between you know the two, the two parties at the moment on exactly yeah. this issue, on, on on the issue of of image and what this looks like and what it could lead to and the the perception of corruption. Yeah, and just you were just talking about a little bit earlier about how U.S. society is not the most cohesive it's ever been right now, and um, that that's uh, it's not like the Japanese in that way. You know, this could turn out this could turn out different, but we'll see. Yeah, if if you try to bail out, see, it's going to be know, inter- interesting the, time. The corporates on Wall Street, and you don't bail out the little guy, they'll go they'll go bananas. They'll they'll go bonkers and do something very irrational. People will mm-hmm. lose it. Yeah. And so, and, and so you know, they don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, my last question for now, unless there's anything else you think we, we should cover, is just this on this topic of the little guy, of the, ever, every, of, 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 you know, the average person. I guess let's just talk about people in the U.S. Then what do you think that, you know, given everything we talked about, given every, all the chaos that's going to come, what do you think that they should do for the next... Uh, for next month or so. I mean, obviously, stay at home, wash your hands, don't go out. Um, but what about after that? You know, how do you, should they, should they be using this time to study up on AI and try to get a job as an engineer after? You know, should they be uh, considering a move to Singapore? You know, given, uh, given like a 12 month time frame, what do you think are some things that people should start considering? Uh, post, yeah, post, so, so uh, the, the answers are everything from, uh, which I just learned from my niece <clears throat> yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when there was a plague at Cambridge, uh, mm-hmm. Isaac Newton worked at home for two years when he was 23 years old. He created differential calculus. Uh, when there was mm-hmm. a plague and Shakespeare was stuck working at home, he wrote uh, Macbeth and King Lear. Um, I have many interns right now who are shut in, uh, their universities are closed, their classes are canceled, they're going to get a pass fail, uh, they're looking for jobs. You know, I tell them, you know, two things. One, <clears throat> stay focused, learn a skill, uh, you know, occupy your time well, discipline your time, get up in the morning, take a shower, uh, you know, create structure in your life. On the other one, it's very important to show compassion show love, volunteer, help somebody else, talk about what's happening with you to your, to your friends, make dinners for people, 
make dinners together. Talk about the problems while you're making dinners. You know, help your help the elderly by you know distributing food. You know, let's become a community again. You know, these are the things that mm -hmm. are happening in front of our eyes that are great. You know, it's happening in Spain, it's happening in Italy, it's happening with people I'm talking to who are my my interns from you know in Pennsylvania and uh, Massachusetts and Virginia and California, and it's great. Uh, and then thirdly, one of the great points that was made by UNICEF, this is not a one-off trauma. This is not a, a car accident or a, a fire. This is an ongoing trauma that we're seeing a lot of death around us. And so we have to be really vigilant for our, our mental health and talk about these issues and practice mindfulness and, and, and get some of these mindfulness apps and try to learn a little bit of meditation and quiet time and you know, and, and reaching out to some higher power. These are these are very vital things. So yes, we want to you know exercise the mind and learn new skills, but we also want to exercise the um, you know the heart in these kinds of things. This is a vital part to help us all heal from what is a very tra traumatic once in a century event right now. And I'm afraid it's yeah. going to get quite unpleasant in many metropolitan cities, including New York City, as you and I discussed mm -hmm. recently. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of uh, very problematic situations in hospitals all across the five boroughs of New York that are going to be very messy. And so we just have to get ready yeah. for that. Yeah, especially New York City. Jesus Christ. God bless them. But uh, yeah, you know, there was actually one more thing I wanted to ask you. It's, it's kind of a big topic. So, but so, you know, one thing that we were talking about even before this was the impact of climate change. And how the, how after 50 years, after 70 years, climate change has finally caught up with us. And so even before the coronavirus, the big thing that to me was kind of, you know, that this is the time when things are going to start change was the fires in Australia and the fires in Indonesia and the fires in Canada and the fires in other places, but especially the fires in Australia and the Amazon. And so, you know, climate change is catching up to us, I think, with, uh, you know, with uh, some of the responses from these governments were that. In, in the UK and the US are starting to just give out what is basically a universal basic income to people. You know, I think we really start to see the fragility of having overly concentrated supply chains and, and to some degree the fragility of having an overly specialized uh, global uh, econo economy. Um, people are, for the first time in years, really taking a month off to just chill and just sit and be still. And I guess we think their lives if they want to, you know, all these things are happening. The coronavirus is forcing us to do all these things. And these were things that needed to happen and were going to happen beforehand. But the, the coronavirus is forcing these things to happen now. So, you know, given we talked about how short sighted the regime is in forcing stockholders to demand stock buybacks, because um, I think it is international interest, even if it is very, very short sighted. Given how we talked about, you know, these senators were getting inside information and may it's have not rational. It's greedy. I, I disagree with you. It's and greedy. It's, not it's rational. Greedy. It's just pure greed that you can you can get that much of a tax saving by you know uh, driving a stock price up. It, it, it's a cheap, greedy gimmick. I'm sorry. It's not rational. It's foolish. You it's know what? Extremely foolish. I think that's a good point. policy. Mm -hmm. You know, so let me rephrase that then, you know, given how our, our current society would view that kind of greed as rational, 
right? How it would view that kind of those kind of actions as being responsible to shareholders, you know, given that now that society is shut down. How do you think society and governments and the way that we relate to people and the way the economy works, how do you think that's going to change once this is all over? Yeah, I, I think it's changing already. I, I think the, the people in power in, you know, the UK, US, um, you know, Italy, um, you know, other, other you know, uh, regimes that tend to be on the right side, you know, believe in, you know, a, more of a, of a plutocracy responding to corporate interests, uh, that, you know, that volunteerism can take care of, of problems in society, the government shouldn't be involved in this. It's just a bunch yeah. of rubbish, you know, that, that this, will, this will, will teach people to say, you know what, yeah, the federal government should be involved in state health care. Guess what? If this is important and, and, and the federal government's going to have to get involved in, in you know, uh, emergency relief. It's going to have to get involved in disease research. It's going to have to get involved in viral vaccines. It's going to have to get involved in keeping the CDC funded. It's going to have to get involved in you know, making sure that FEMA is well-funded. It's going to have to get involved in making sure that hospitals can function properly. And so I think mm -hmm. that this administration in Washington is basically swallowing its, you know, ideological pride and is, is going to have to mm -hmm. do a lot of things that they find odious according to their ideological preferences and, you know, move mm -hmm. far more to the left in terms of responding to people's needs. You know, a lot of kids right. in America, they go to school for lunch. There are no mm -hmm. lunches for millions of kids right now. The federal government's going to have to help. The federal government's going to have to help create tents for people as the hospitals overflow. Uh, the federal government's going to have to create, you know, um, subsidies for people. And I believe, by the way, I believe we're going to have, uh, I was just reflecting this morning, I think we're going to spend $5 trillion in fiscal, um, in fiscal uh, stimulus after this $2 trillion. There's going to be a lot more to come because there's going to be a lot of pain out there. And there's going to be a really high unemployment rate, and so you're going to have to keep the fiscal, uh, you know, you're going to have to keep the fiscal, you know, uh, game going for quite a long time. And I think the Federal Reserve is going to be forced to purchase corporate bonds uh, for the first time ever in a, in a public way, and it's going to have to explain this to the public. And as long as the public gets, you know, things like this, they will swallow their anger and allow corporates to get a bailout. Boy, oh boy, the corporates better be given second fiddle to a middle-class bailout or there's going to be really big problems. And I think the Democratic Party understands that now. The Democrats didn't get that in 2008. Now they get it. Yeah. Yeah, what a, what a failed opportunity back then. But uh, so, so here's the part that always kind of mystifies me because, you know, everything you talked about, a $5 trillion stimulus, right? The verbiage that we use, we call it a stimulus. We, we mean it to be a one-time thing. You know, we're going to stimulate it, it's going to get better, and then we're going to stop. You know, the verbiage back when LTCM was bailed out was this is a one-time thing, it's never going to happen again. And then 2008, you know, this is a one-time thing, this is temporary, we're going to have some temporary QE, and then we're going to stop. And now we're talking about, well, now, now we need $2 trillion, maybe $5 trillion of stimulus. And then we're talking about giving out UBI. We're talking about socialized healthcare. We're talking about better funding for, you know, for agencies like CDC. We're talking about a lot of things that are not temporary, that are really, you know, permanent changes to how 
well, certainly how we budget. Um, and I think if we keep using verbiage, if we keep talking about it as stimulus, then, then you know, it's almost like our society as it stands doesn't have the vocabulary to talk about this kind of stuff in, a, in an accurate way. That's not set up to think about, well, what if we, you know, what if we just gave everyone, what if we stopped these bailouts and just gave people money from now until the end of time? What if we started, um, what if we ventured into, I guess, modern monetary theory where the government should be the backstop, the government should be funding all these things. And it's okay because, you know, as they say, money, well, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand MMT, but they're certainly perfectly fine with running huge deficits uh, until the end of time. You know, so I guess my question is, I, I, I feel like there's a fundamental mismatch. Everyone treats these things, the Republicans treat these things as, we're just going to give everyone money until the, the virus is over. But, uh, well, but it's not over, right? You know, these things, these things happen because these societies were not set up to handle these things because they weren't investing in these kind of things. Do you, how do you think we're going to resolve that kind of mismatch between what we expected up to now and what seems to work at the moment? And do you think that's going to, yeah, you know, it's almost like a cultural mismatch. How do you think that's going to happen? Do you think it's going to happen? Well, I think that if you uh, think of the alternative, which is to say, you know what, we can't do this anymore. We can't be throwing money around. We have to be responsible. We have to, you know, uh, engage in austerity. We have to let, you know, um, let things fail. You know, that was the prevailing philosophy in mm -hmm. after the Great Depression in 1929. The Republicans back then were basically saying, you know, the government shouldn't be involved in this. Let the market clear let the market find a clearing price, you know, let stocks fall. And, you know, that led to uh, mm -hmm. mass unemployment and World War II and 50 million people died. Now, that did not work out so well. That, that was not a great solution, right? Right. Right. You, you want to avoid global war and the deaths of 50 million people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is what, you know, people are trying to deal with now. Um, is to say, you know, whatever we, we whatever we spend and we throw into an economy uh, is basically money that just is going to be going through the machine, right? It's just going to be spent. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, it's basically you know going from the right pocket to the left pocket. And, and I think I think there is sort of an element of Keynesian theory is is that right that that you know the money can keep going through in the machine if you stop the the debt machine. Uh, for a period of time, you will get a, uh, I guarantee you, you'll get a depression that will make 1929 look like mm -hmm. uh, a garden party, right? And so yeah. that's not a very good option. And, and so I think people who talk like that have no idea what they're mm -hmm. talking about. So libertarians who think the market yeah. should find its own clearing price are out of their minds. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it sounds like if, the Republicans are able to work through the reasoning, then it almost sounds like the in inevitable conclusion is we're going to have to, a Republican president is going to have to propose a, a, like a new deal, right, within the next few months to sustain the recovery that we're somehow able to salvage out of all this. That's exactly that almost, what's happening today in, in the Congress yeah. right now. That's exactly what's being offered is a new deal to bail mm -hmm. out corporates, but also to bail out the, 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 the middle class. 
with mm -hmm. a $2,000 check, with unemployment benefits, with um, work at home benefits, with you know babysitting, with lunches, health care, free, uh, you know, ch free um, health care for the uh, for, for the virus treatment, uh, mm -hmm. for, for the virus tests, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what that yes. is. Right. Uh, and, and there's an old saying, it's capitalism on the way up, socialism on the way down. Mm -hmm. And with right. that, uh, let's uh, until next time. Right. Yeah. Who would have thought Trump would have been uh, the most socialist president since FDR? You know, who well, have we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, you know, unless you got anything else you want to talk about. Well, thanks so much for, for being on here, Paul. It's a lot of. It's a lot to think about. It's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, a lot of food for thought. Thank okay. you so much. This has been great. We got to do this again. We should. We should. Okay. Perfect, All my right. friend. Man, talk to you soon. Thanks. Great. Bye.